Well, good morning, family. So good to be together this morning. These are weird days. <laughs> Never in my life have I imagined a time like we have had in these last uh, six months. Weird in so many ways. We're watching scenes of protest, violence, looting, burning, destruction occurring all across our nation in numerous cities. Tragic, disturbing, but unfortunately that's really not new. Those of us who've been around a while have seen this kind of thing before. Does anybody else remember the 60s? What does seem new and strange to me is the call from many, many in positions of leadership and in government who basically endorse anarchy and aim to defund law enforcement, to scale back on the very ones who stand between the innocent and the lawless criminals makes no sense to me, and of course such action misses the very job description of government on the pages of Scripture, which God says is to reward those who do good and bring punishment upon wrongdoers. You can look that up if you want in Romans 13. Yet actually it should not surprise us to see such things. Ever since sin entered into the human race, Go back to Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. Ever since then, man's heart has been corrupted. I'll include women in that too. I mean, mankind's heart has been corrupted. And mankind has tended toward rebellion. Being a rebel, whether it's rebel against authority in the home, the authority of parents, the authority of local government and local entities, school, work, whether it is national authority or ultimately, as Romans 13 lets us know, it's all rebellion against God's authority. And those in positions of leadership and power, again, going back to sin, sin's beginning in Genesis Those in positions of leadership and power have often tended to misuse their authority and to oppress the weak and benefit themselves and or they have in authority neglected their responsibilities to protect and to care and to serve those who are in their care. This morning, as we come to our next to the last study in the book of Hebrews in this series, we are in Hebrews chapter 13. I hope you've got a Bible out and have turned there. We're in the last chapter, and we have noted over the last several weeks here in chapter 13 that it's it's all about very practical matters. What it is, as we have learned about what it is to be people of faith, what it is to live faithfully as people of faith here in chapter 13. 
what it practically looks like when we live out our faith. And we've seen how this chapter calls us to be very different from our culture. As believers, our conduct should be very different than that of unbelievers. We are to be out of step with culture and in step with Jesus Christ. Today, our focus will be just on two verses, verse 7 and verse 17. Two relatively easy verses since Aaron last week took the verses between them, verses 8 through 16, the hard verses, while I was conveniently away on vacation. (laughs) He got the hard ones, uh, as usual, and I get the easy ones. These two verses are all about leaders and followers. Those who are in charge, in authority, and those who are to follow. Now there are other passages throughout the New Testament, actually throughout Scripture as a whole, that deal with these issues. Particularly in the New Testament, there are others that deal with government and citizens, government and followers. I mentioned one, Romans chapter 13, a moment ago. There are others that deal with authority in the home. Ephesians chapter 5 and 6, for example. But here the focus is on leaders and followers in the church. What it is in the context of the church to be leaders, to be leading, and to be following. And so this morning we're looking at, um, we're looking at being faithful in following. Let's, with that intro, let's just dig into the Word. Read, follow with me as I read verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This verse focuses on past leaders. Ones that these Hebrew Christians had known in the past, but now they've, these leaders have grown old or more likely they have, they have died. And this verse informs us of two things that are expected of godly leaders in the church. And while the primary application in this verse is to those who are in positions of authority, elders and pastors, for example, I think we can reasonably extend this to apply as well in this verse to dads and moms, to Sunday school teachers, to home group leaders, to any Christian leader. Anyone who has the job description of being a leader, a disciple-maker, Last time I checked, that's everyone, according to Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. The Great Commission, go and make disciples. So what it has to say here about leaders applies especially to elders in our church, but it also applies to every one of us. 
two things here that are expected of godly leaders. As I read the verse, it says we're to remember them who spoke to you the word of God. Leaders are to be teachers of God's word. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he said this, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine and instead to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Paul says, Timothy, preach the Word. The motto of Dallas Seminary when I was a student there. Preach the Word. It's important because people have appetites to hear things that, he says, tickle their ears. Things that entertain. Things that affirm them, that make them feel good. We all have appetites for that. Appetites for that which makes us spiritually warm and fuzzy, but doesn't necessarily address our need. Doesn't necessarily, as Paul says here to Timothy, rebuke, correct, encourage. There's no shortage of such leaders in our world today. People who will speak in the name of Christ but focus on catering to what people want. What is it that people want and we will give it to them. That was what P.T. Barnum did. But it is not a godly leader. The godly leader is different. Those who cater to what people want, they may gather large crowds. They may be successful in building institutions, gaining fame, even growing wealthy. But a godly leader doesn't aim at what people want. Whether his audience is two or two million, the godly leader's focus is unchanging. It's not that godly leaders never have large crowds. It's that they never lose their focus. Teach the Word of God faithfully, carefully, in season, out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage. So by the way, this means if you are a leader, and I said I think we all are in one venue or another, every one of us should be teaching at least one. And if you want to be a godly leader, it means you need to get busy and you need to study the Word of God. You need to learn it so that you can teach it as God gives opportunity. The second thing I see here about godly leaders is in that phrase, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Godly leaders live exemplary lives. 
They live out what they teach. They live lives that are worth imitating. It's worth noting that if you go through the New Testament, to the two primary passages that that tell us what are the requirements for leadership in the church, for godly leaders, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and uh, I think we'll be studying in 1 Timothy this fall. You also can look in Titus chapter 1. There you'll find the requirements listed out for elders, for deacons. And you will note that the primary requirements, the vast majority of requirements that are there, are all about character, godly character. God has always valued character over capability. Humanly, we all tend to value capability over character. We get it backwards. Oh, that our leaders in Washington and in Jeff City, oh, that we had folks who were men and women of character over capability. That's what this verse tells us about leaders. Two things that we can look for and expect. Two things that God requires out of leaders. But there's also instruction here for those of us who are followers. We are to, we, we notice that this is dealing with leaders from the past. And these two, this verse calls for you and I to honor those who are from the past, our leaders of the past. Not telling us to build statues or to write songs or make movies. But it calls for us to remember them really in three ways. The first, it calls for us to remember. We are the beneficiaries of a heritage. Whether you have been a believer in Jesus Christ for a week, whether you've been a believer in Jesus Christ for 80 years, you're the beneficiary of a heritage. Someone told you about Jesus. And most likely for most of us, it has been many, many, many someones who have built into our lives, who have led us, who have taught the Word of God to us, who have lived exemplary lives before us. We are not to forget them. In our modern world where culture changes rapidly, almost daily it seems at times, where your new tech gear is outdated before you even open the box, in that world in which we live, the aged are often considered irrelevant and out of touch outdated. And those who have been graduated to glory are often just abandoned and forgotten while we embrace the new and the slick and the flashy and the trendy and the popular. But I've noticed, as you likely have as well, as you've gotten older, that the wisdom that we need today can often be found in the past. <laughs> the strength we need today is often found in the past. 
found in the examples and in the words of the old saints who have gone before and blazed the trail for us. We can often avoid heartache and wasted time if we will take the time to learn from those who have gone before rather than just listening to the voices of now. Young people, it is good and it is valuable to worship with and to get to know and to engage with older saints. Older brothers and sisters, it's essential that we invest in young people. It's essential that we are flexible and we look for ways to accommodate and to encourage those who are younger than us to desire to participate in worship and in relationship with us. So this passage calls for us to remember our leaders who led us. You'll notice it's talking about in the past. And then it calls for us to consider, to consider the outcome of their way of life. I can't tell you how many times over the decades I spent in youth ministry that I told young people, if you want to win at something, study and learn from winners. But remember that the early leaders often don't win the race. And that's it's the same way in life. And that's why it is, as a young person, you won't learn to win at life by looking at your peers. You learn about winning at life by looking at those who are approaching or those who have crossed the finish line of the race of life. And then you consider their outcome. And so this text calls for us. To consider those who have gone before and consider the outcome and look for the winners. This race of life is temporary and it will come to an end very often at a time when we are not expecting, whether we are old or young. I've said it before a number of times, I will never forget my mom when she was... I think 92, looking at me and saying, I, thinking she was dying that day. And she lived another uh, four years. <laughs> but looking at me and saying, I always knew this day would come. I just didn't think it would be so soon. <laughs> Life is temporary and it will end. And then we stand before God as Hebrews 9:27. That says it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. At that point, there are, there is no opportunity for redo. <laughs> you can't step on the line like you could in four square or two square or whatever when we were playing as kids. It's a do-overs, you know, none of that. And winning at life is not measured by how many followers we have on Instagram. Or how much we have in our bank account or in our stock portfolio or how much stuff we have in our garage. 
Jesus asked, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? Those who win at life are those who are ready to stand before God whenever that end comes, whether it is this afternoon or whether it is 50, 60 years from now. That begins, of course, by trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. As John says in that verse just before, the one that we always quote, John 3.16 and John 3.15, it says, everyone who believes in Him, in Jesus, will have eternal life. Winning in life begins there. Receiving eternal life is a gift from God by trusting Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and never yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I'm looking around. I see a lot of familiar faces. But you know, just because you're a familiar face doesn't mean that you've ever made decision with Christ. If you never have, today's the day. So our text calls for us to remember those who have gone before, to consider the outcome of their way of life, and then it calls for us to imitate their faith. Not just remember them, not just consider them, but follow their example. Trust in Jesus Christ. Trust Him as your Savior and then follow Him as your Lord. Live for Christ in faith. Again, why are we to look back at the past? Well, the next verse... The verse right after this one, a short little verse, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Many things may have changed since their time. Since the time of those older saints who have gone on. But Jesus hasn't changed. His Word hasn't changed. What Jesus said 2,000 years ago, which has been passed on to us through the, the apostles and the written Word of God, what has been passed on to us through those who spoke the Word of God to us, it has not changed. What Jesus said then is, is still true today. And the same Jesus that sustained those who went before us when they trusted in Him will sustain us. We are to imitate their faith. Drop down to verse 17. Ten verses. Again, another verse about leaders, which is why I chose to do these two together. It, it uses the same word for leaders. refers to those in authority this verse, while we apply, could apply the other one perhaps to all believers, this one is very specific in speaking to those who are in a position of authority. And it says, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that will be of no advantage to you. This verse shifts the focus from the past leaders to the current leaders. 
So again, for the Hebrew readers here of this letter, it's referring to the, the ones who are in leadership in their church then. To us, it refers to us, to our leaders today. And again, there's some truth to notice about those who are leaders. It tells us that they are keeping watch over your soul. Leaders, godly leaders, keep watch. The imagery, the picture here is that of a shepherd. The shepherd who is staying up all night. Or they're taking turns as shepherds staying up, guarding the flock. Making sure there are no predators, no thieves that come in and destroy or steal. It's also the picture of the shepherd who watches and cares for the needs of the flock, providing food and water and other care as they need. That is the function of leadership in the church. God has given elders and deacons in the church, the two offices that the Bible lays out before us, uses various terms for elders, by the way. It uses the term elder. It uses the term bishop. It uses the term overseer. They're all referring to the same, same office. It also uses the term pastor or shepherd, describing the function, one of the functions of this, uh, of that office of elder. That is the function of elders to shepherd the flock to watch over them and to present the flock, the church, safely to Jesus. Jesus who is, as the Scripture says, the chief shepherd. Those who are in leadership serve as shepherds under the chief shepherd. And their charge is to care for the flock, to watch over it, to protect it, to feed it, and to present it one day to Jesus. What the Apostle Paul saw as his mission in the book of Colossians, he says, that I may present to Christ a mature church. Another thing I notice here about leaders is not only are they to keep watch, but they are accountable. It says that they will have to give an account. One day when they stand before the chief shepherd, they will have to answer to Jesus Christ and to God the Father. If they have been uncaring, if they have been unfaithful, if they have been lazy, they are accountable. If they misuse their authority, God will hold them accountable. To those of us who serve in leadership, this is frightening. <laughs> it is humbling. It is sobering. And it ought to be. Far greater than ever being embarrassed before men. Far greater than ever being held to account before men. will be standing before the God who knows everything, who sees everything done in the light and in the dark. Everything done in secret. Every action, every inaction. Every motive, every bad attitude. 
And I say that's one reason we ought to pray deeply for our leaders. They're going to give account. Pray that they're faithful. But not only do they give account to God, another interesting thing to notice is that both in verse 7 and here in verse 17, and this letter we assume is written to probably one local church, but it says, remember your leaders, and it says here, obey your leaders and submit to them. Notice that they are plural. And we won't take the time this morning, but I encourage you to go through the New Testament and do a study on leadership in the churches. And what you discover is that all through the New Testament, there is a pattern, a pattern of plurality in leadership. The leaders in the church are accountable to one another. You don't see one central leader in every church, one Dictator, one potentate, one shake, one, you know, one guy who's the head cheese who rules the church. What you see are a plurality of elders, of leaders who, who lead and rule in the church. They are to work together. This team of leaders, this team of elders, they are work together to work together and be accountable to one another. That's why here in our church, the pastor doesn't run this church. I don't run this church. I'm not in charge. I am part of a team of elders. I am accountable to them. We are accountable to one another. That is the way it ought to be. That keeps us as it were, keeps us honest, keeps us in check. If I ever step out of line, it is their job to confront me. If I get something wrong in teaching, they are to correct me. If I misuse authority, they are to correct me. Likewise, if they do, we are together to confront and to, to correct one another. By the way, if you are ever in a church, in a situation where a leader, a pastor, exalts himself above others, if he is not and will not be accountable to submit to other godly leaders, either he should be removed from office or else you as a follower, that's a good reason to remove yourself from that church and that ministry. Because leaders are to be accountable. Again, this verse speaks to what leaders are to be, but it also speaks to us about what followers are to be. What is our responsibility as followers in this verse? Well, it says in verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them. As a leader, it makes me uncomfortable just to say those words. It probably makes you uncomfortable to hear them. Matter of fact, it may even ruffle your feathers. How dare the pastor stand up there and say that people should obey the elders. Obey the pastor. He has one of the elders. Submit to them. Ha! Doesn't he know this is America? In America, we cherish liberty. 
independence, individualism, and the vote. By the way, we do cherish the vote. If you haven't registered, it's time to register. It's an important year. Register and vote this fall. But I digress. Our postmodern culture as well denies absolutes. And once you have no absolutes, you have no real basis for authority. And so it is uncommon in our day to have a real commitment to submitting to authority. Plus, as we mentioned earlier, our sin nature leads us to be rebellious. It's ingrained in us to rebel against God and any other authority He has established, which Romans 13 tells us that all authority ultimately comes from God. And so for all of those reasons, when we hear obey and submit, we don't like that. But of course, if you read the Bible, what you realize is obedience and submission is something that we are all called to in many fronts in the Christian life. We're called to that for no less reason than the fact that our Savior Jesus lived under submission. Time and time he, again He said, I am here to do my Father's will. There that last night before the crucifixion in the garden, He says, yet not what I Will, but your will be done. We are to follow in the footsteps of our Savior and to be people who are in submission to authority. As I said, this passage limits the, what it's talking about here to the church, but it carries over into authority in the home. It carries over into authority in our workplace and authority in terms of our government and our society. We are to be people who submit to authority. So is this passage saying that we are simply to follow our leaders? To obey them and submit to them to, as it were, even drink the Kool-Aid? As those of us who can remember back in the 70s in the Jonestown cult when over 900 people followed Jim Jones committing suicide. Is that what this is telling us to do? The answer is no. The focus here in obedience and submission is not a blind, undiscerning, leave your brains behind type of following. Yes, the Greek word here, obey, if you look it up, it means obey. But if you also look it up, you'll discover that it has another connotation as well. It can be translated obey, and it is translated obey many times. It can also be translated be persuaded or be convinced. In other words, what it's saying is it's, it's a reasoned obedience based upon a confidence, a trust in the character of the leader. It's not a blind obedience. It is a reasoned one. See, we choose to obey because the leader, go back to verse 7, is faithfully teaching the Word of God. 
We choose to obey because the leader is faithful in their character. We consider their way of life. That's where it says, and likewise this word submit implies a willingness to defer, to yield to the leaders, but it is based upon their character and their credibility. As followers, we are to be countercultural in a day of independence and rebellion. We are to be people of obedience and submission, especially here in the church, this text is calling us. We are to submit to them as those who will give an account. And it goes on to say, let them, let these leaders, let them do this, let them rule over us, let them lead us with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. The last thing I see here that it tells for us as followers is we're to make our leaders smile. Put a smile on their face. Fill their life with joy. Make their job a pleasure, not a chore. By the way, may I say, you as a church, you do this. I'm not preaching about things that you need to do. You do this marvelously. You bring joy to my heart. You bring joy to the hearts of our elders. You are such a wonderful, wonderful group and congregation of people. But we get how this works. You can be on your way to your dream destination vacation. Think of wherever that is for you. Place, wow, if you could just go spend two weeks, where would you go? There you are on your way, and if the back seats are loaded with children who are complaining and griping and disobedient and fighting, you're on your way to your dream destination vacation, and you're having a really bad day. Many of us have been there. On the other hand, you can be in your backyard, otherwise known as the Sahara Desert or some jungle, and you're taking on those dreaded chores that you have been putting off because they are so dirty and hot and disgusting, and there you are, and if your, whole, if your family is out there and everybody is getting along and everybody is pitching in and working hard and you're doing the grotiest things that you've been putting off forever and you're having a great day because the family is working together to accomplish the job and they're doing it in harmony and unity. We get how that works in family and so it works in the church. That's his point. Church should be like that. And may I say again, we are. You are as a church. The Apostle John wrote in his little letter, 3 John, he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. We bring joy to our leaders when we grow by listening to God's Word and we put it into practice. We bring joy to our leaders when we connect with one another and we love on our brothers and sisters and meet their needs. 
We bring joy to our leaders when we serve God joyfully, when we cooperate together in the mission and the work of the church. We bring joy to our leaders when we reach out and we share the good news of Jesus with a lost world. And again, you all are marvels at doing that. Keep up the good work. God has given leaders to the church for our benefit. To keep watch over our souls. They are a gift to us. Their aim is to protect us and to help us grow. We need to be praying for them. We're going to talk more about that next week. But we all lose if we make their job difficult. For that would be, as he says, of no advantage to us. Let's pray. Father, what a great passage. It calls, first of all, as we've seen, it calls to all of us in positions of leadership, which in a sense is every one of us. For we are all to be disciple makers. We are all to be those who are building in to the lives of others and bringing some folks along in their walk with Christ. It may be our children, it may be our grandchildren, it may be a Sunday school class, it may be uh, kids in children's church, it may be our next door neighbor or the, the kids down the street or the, the uh, elderly person behind us. But Father, we are all to be faithful at learning Your Word and teaching Your Word. We are all to be faithful at living out Uh, your word in our practice to live faithfully. Father, may our leaders in this church continue to be faithful men and women. Father, may you as well help us all to be faithful in following. May we remember and consider and imitate and obey Submit, and may we bring a smile to our shepherds here on earth and ultimately a great big smile to the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, so that when we get home one day to our real home in heaven, we hear those words that will mean everything. Well done, good and faithful servant. In His name we pray.